Take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians. We'll go back to that book again this evening. Philippians chapter 4 this time. Philippians chapter 4, uh, as Jeff mentioned uh, a while ago, a lot of what we've been dealing with on Sunday nights especially uh, is preparation for our move. Uh, we've been dealing a lot with uh, what ministry is and things that we need to be prepared for, uh, what ministry looks like, uh, that Pastor Bill has been working on over the past uh, few weeks as we've been dealing with, uh, with this subject. Uh, and I really want us to kind of continue with that theme tonight of thinking about uh, what we need to be doing in preparation for that move and how we can be uh, guarding against the attacks of Satan and uh, really just some things that we, will help us, I think, in ministry. And so I want us to examine what Paul says uh, in Philippians uh, chapter 4. So we're going to start at, um, at verse 2 in Philippians chapter 4 as we look at this passage. One of the things that I want you to notice as we read is that really the theme of the passage is peace. How we have peace, a peace that passes all understanding. And so let's start just by reading uh, that passage now. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And really, this, uh, that last verse that we just read there is, is kind of a theme that really drives part of this section, uh, is that we have a peace uh, that passes all understanding. A peace that we can experience and a peace that can that can come for us as a church and there may be some of you all in here as you think about that verse you can think back to times in your life where you've experienced that kind of peace that passes all understanding in the midst of whatever chaos midst of whatever else is going on you've had the peace of God that comes into your life and you've experienced a peace that goes beyond anything that you can possibly wrap your mind around and that's the kind of peace that, that Paul is talking about there, peace that goes beyond anything that our, our words can describe, uh, that our minds can think of. Paul says that that kind of peace is possible for those of us who follow Christ. And what Paul does here is he gives us gives basically five exhortations that can help lead to this peace. And so one of the things I want us to think about is how do we, how do we have that kind of peace within our lives, individually as believers, and then how does this help us to think as Grace Baptist Church, what does it mean for us to have peace as a church? You know, because that's one of the things that we want. We don't want to be a church that's filled with contention or strife. How do we have peace that reigns in our church? How do we have peace that reigns in our relationships? And that's one of the things that Paul is going to help us to see as we examine uh, this passage uh, this evening. So the first exhortation that Paul gives is to be reconciled. And so we start right here in verse 2. Uh, Paul gives his exhortation. You want peace? All right, first, be reconciled. And he starts out with these two ladies. I don't know if you 
remember these names or not. These are the only times they're really mentioned in Scripture. It's a lady named Yodia and a lady named Syntyche. And he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And really, that's about all we know about them. We just know that some kind of problem is going on with these two ladies. We don't know the nature of it, but we know that these, these two ladies are Christians, and they've worked with Paul in the past, but something has happened, so now they have been fighting with each other, and there's some kind of rift in their relationship there. And so Paul says, I, I exhort Yodia, I exhort Syntyche, live in harmony together. Now, I, I don't know if you recognize how bold this is for Paul to do this. Because it's one thing for, for me to get up and read these names uh, you know, 2,000 years after the fact. Paul wrote this letter, and then this letter would have been read aloud to the church. And so whoever's reading that letter to him is standing there saying, Paul says, I urge Yodia, <clears throat> I urge Syntyche, <clears throat> that you all live in harmony together. It'd be like me looking out here right now and saying, you know, Clint and Chad, you, you all need to get your act together and start living in harmony. Can you imagine that? What if I did that during the middle of service? This would probably be my last service uh, here at Grace Baptist Church. <coughs> Paul's bold. He says, I, I urge you to do that. Why would, he, why would he be so bold as to say, you, are, you Odia and you Syntyche, let's get it together. It's because he was acting in love. He was acting in love by asking them, by commanding them to do this. The reason this is a loving thing is because their fighting, their contentiousness was harming the church. You see, broken relationships within the church, people who are at odds with one another or have stopped talking to one another or are holding some kind of grudge with one another, that situation is like a cancer. It's like a cancer within the body. If you leave a cancer within the body, if you leave it untreated, that cancer is just going to grow and grow and grow and invade the rest of the body, and it's eventually going to kill you. It's a similar situation like this with the church. If there are fractured relationships, if you, if you are angry at somebody and that relationship is broken and that is not dealt with, it's the same as like having a cancer within the church body. Because that festers and that unity that we're supposed to have has a cancer growing in it, and the church body is harmed. And Paul recognizes that, and he sees why it's so important. And so that's why he's as bold as saying, Hey, Yodia, Syntyche, I urge you, I exhort you, live in harmony with one another. Now, this was a loving thing for him to do, even though Yodia and Syntyche may not have felt like it when they heard their names called out but it was something that they needed to hear. Now, I know that nothing like this would ever happen at Grace. There would never be anyone who gets their feelings hurt. There's never going to be anybody who is that gets upset with somebody else. That would never happen. Well, the reality is it's going to. You may be in here and you may have a similar situation where you're a Yodia or you're a Syntyche or maybe you know a Yodia and a Syntyche the reality is, is that as humans we have these situations that come along and sometimes they go too far and 
broken relationships occur. And Paul says, look, I urge you, I urge you to live in harmony in the Lord. And so if, if that describes any of us in here, if we, if we look at ourselves and we think of, if we think of that, that one person that we've, that we've really just broken apart from in the church or that has, that has angered us and we're just not dealt with that anger and it's still festering in us, then, then it's, time, it's time to go be reconciled with that person. So think to yourself, is, is that you? Is, is this maybe now an opportunity for you to go seek forgiveness or to give forgiveness and, and to see the gospel power of forgiveness and reconciliation worked in a situation? Is that something that you need uh, to be doing right now? I know it may seem awkward. It may not seem like something that's real easy or exciting to do, but it's something that's necessary for the body to function the way it's supposed to. All right, so if we, want to, if we want to have this peace that Paul talks about, first of all, be reconciled. Second, it, that command that he gives is that maybe to, to help people be reconciled. Uh, listen to what he says in verse 3. He's just been talking about Yodi and Sintiki. Now he says, indeed, true companion, and that word can, may actually be somebody's name in the Greek. So he's speaking to one individual person there. He says, indeed, you, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So it's not enough for Paul to say, hey, Yodia and Syntyche, I want you all to, to get things right and be reconciled. But he goes on and says, hey, hey, you true worker, Bob, go help them out. And so if we've got Clint and Chad here who are bickering with one another, then I might be saying, hey, David, you need to go act as a mediator between them and help them get their act together that, so that this is taken care of. Uh, they're in my Sunday school class, so I can feel free to pick on them. So. <clears throat> but, uh, but that's what Paul does. He is bold enough to say, why don't you step out and help them in this situation? This shows just how serious Paul thinks this is. You know, we, when we hear about somebody who's gotten upset at somebody else, or when, we, when you hear about somebody, well, they're not talking to that person now, you know, that, that may not resonate as something that as a big deal. You know, it's not like, you know, he's left his wife and run off to another town. You know, it's just, he's just gotten mad. That's not the way Paul looks at it. Paul looks at broken relationships in the body is one of the most dangerous things in the body because it breaks what God has brought together. You know that picture that we get in Scripture of what the church is? It's, it's this unified people who are like-minded, as we talked about this morning, have, who have Christ as their common denominator, who are as... Acts chapter 2 talks about they're constantly together, they're praying together, they're fellowshipping together, they're ministering together, they're serving together, all these things. Paul sees this as what the picture of the church is supposed to be. And when he sees that these two people who are supposed to be living for each other and almost willing to die for each other, broken apart in their relationship, he says, no, that, that's not the way it can be. We're, we're the body of Christ. We are the living body of God, of Christ. So we cannot be fighting, bickering, and arguing. So he goes as far to say, all right, you, 
please, please go and help them work this out. And so if, if we want this kind of peace in our church, we want to be Grace Baptist Church characterized by peace, not characterized by contention or strife or fighting or somebody getting their feelings hurt or whatever. This, this may need to be you. Where you know, maybe you know somebody who's upset and you know this other person up here is upset and they're not really coming together. Maybe you need to act as kind of a mediator who can go in there and help be a peacemaker between them. Say, look, look, I'm just here. I want to help, help bring you two back together. Because remember, the aim that we're looking for, as we're talking about here in verse seven that's coming up, is, is that we're looking for a peace that passes all understanding. We want our church and our relationships to be characterized by this kind of peace. And so if we want that to happen, it may take awkward conversations. It may take dealing with some situations that that really just maybe aren't easy or we've had our feelings hurt or someone we love has had their feelings hurt. But if we're going to be this body that Paul talks about, it may just require some of those difficult conversations to happen. And we have to decide, is it, are we more concerned about maybe an awkward conversation or are we more concerned with what the body needs to look like? <clears throat> so Paul says, help them be reconciled. The third thing that he mentions here is to rejoice always. <clears throat> Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. This is, this is a theme that runs throughout Paul, and he talks about joy in Christ. And he talks about rejoicing always. First uh, Thessalonians 5.16, 5, 6, 5, Paul says this, basically the same phrase where he says, rejoice uh, in the Lord always. Second Corinthians 6.10, he talks about how we're to be always rejoicing. And so as, as follower of Christ, followers of Christ, we're to be always rejoicing in Christ. And I don't have to go through all the, the thousand reasons that we have to constantly be rejoicing in Christ. You, you know those. You know what Christ has done. You know what he has brought into your life. And so we have every reason in the world to be constantly rejoicing. But now I don't, I don't think it's any accident that Paul mentions it where he does here in this book. He, he could have thrown it in every, anywhere else throughout Philippians, but he puts it right after this context of difficulties and troubles within the church. We've got some kind of division uh, that is going on. Earlier, we find out that there's uh, some false teaching that's, being take, that's taking place. We, we find out that there's a possibility of persecution coming upon them. And, and then right here, after all those divisions that he's talked about, he says, hey, rejoice always. You know, I know that, that there's this difficulty that's going on in the church. But hey, rejoice always. You see, the key, the key that he's pointing to here is that we don't set our eyes on circumstances, but we set our eyes on the cross. You see, when we set our eyes on circumstances, we get focused on that difficulty, and then all we do is, is we get flustered and frustrated and angry and torn up about those circumstances that are going on. But see, when we have those difficulties, that, that those troubles, and we take our eyes off those troubles, put our eyes upon the cross, we rejoice in God, rejoice in what Christ has done, and the difficulties kind of fade away. 
And so when that happens, we've got our eyes set upon the cross and there's difficulties over here that we're not setting our eyes upon. We can rejoice and then we have the peace that passes all understanding because our eyes are set where they're supposed to be, not set on the troubles that are happening. And so when trials, difficulties comes in our lives, that's what we're to do, set our eyes upon the cross. When trials, difficulties come in the church, that's what we're to do, set our eyes upon the cross, not let our lives be consumed our hearts be consumed, our minds be consumed with the difficulties and trials that come. And by doing that, that's how we rejoice always. By setting our heart and our mind on Christ rather than on circumstances, situations. Okay, so we want to have peace that passes all understanding. Putting this in the context of Grace Baptist Church right now, uh, we need to be sure that we... Um, that we deal with these situations, uh, that we be reconciled. Uh, if there is a situation that we know about, step alongside if we need to, to help reconciliation occur. If we need to, uh, for that to occur. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then the next thing that he says here, look at verse 5, is let your gentle spirit be known to all men. We need to be characterized by gentleness. Now, when we look at this word, this, you know, this comes from the Greek. When we look at this word, it's, it's really difficult to translate because there's not like just one word in English that just really captures what this means. It's, if, you, if you have different versions out there, your different versions may say different things. Uh, some versions say, uh, instead of gentleness, it says reasonable or reasonableness. Some say forbearance. Some say moderation. Some say graciousness. Well, the idea of what's going on here is it's, it's basically the opposite of being, of being brash or being harsh or hard or flying off the handle. It's, it's responding in a way that is that not harsh, not hard, but instead gentle, responsive, gracious. So you you kind of see the idea that's going on there? It's that gentle response. It's patiently enduring, not getting upset. So is, is that what characterizes us? You know, I, I, oh, whew, I look at my own life, and that, that is this hard thing to look at because oftentimes I, I want to, and I do respond in, in more the, the brash, harsh, hard way rather than being characterized by gentleness. But do you see how this plays into peace? I think this is one of the key things that we have to understand. That if, if our lives are going to be characterized by this peace that passes all understanding, if we as Grace Baptist Church is going to be characterized by a church of peace, then we have to be people who are characterized by responding in gentleness. That we, when somebody says something to us that really rubs us the wrong way, we have more of the attitude of patiently enduring than responding with, I can't believe they said that to me. That when somebody does something that, that just burns us up, that we have more of a forbearance a graciousness when somebody does something that you 
just can't understand why they would do that, you're more likely to respond in moderation. <clears throat> so <clears throat> perhaps maybe the question that we need to ask ourselves is how do we respond to those things? Are we characterized by gentleness, a long-suffering, a, a patient enduring, rather than a hard harshness that turns people away from us or that is prone to cause division, frustration, anger from other people? Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. You know what the motivation he gives for that? Christ is near. The scholars look at this and they debate, well, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about Christ is coming back soon or is he talking about Christ is near and, and that Christ is always there with us and, and he always sees what's going on? Well, honestly, I don't, I don't know if it matters either one way or the other. The, the point is, is that, that Christ sees us. And so Paul's saying, hey, be motivated by this. No matter what situation you're in and what you're experiencing, Christ sees you. And so let yourself be motivated by, uh, by the knowledge of Christ being there and, and so that you don't respond with that kind of fly-off-the-handle attitude, but respond with gentleness as if the Lord were there with you. <clears throat> Do we want peace? Let, let your gentleness be known. Now, I know for some of us that is totally out of our kind of nature of who we are. But by God's grace working in us, the prayer, that fruit which comes from the Spirit can be evident. And so we trust in Him for that. All right, the fifth thing that He says, we want to, we want to experience this peace. We want peace that passes all understanding. We want to be characterized by that peace. Paul says uh, in verse 6, don't worry, pray. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't worry, just pray. Now, Paul isn't saying here that they've got nothing to worry about. This, this is a church that, although things are, are really good with the church, they've still got possibly persecution coming. They've still got some false teaching that they're facing. They've still got the, these two ladies who, who can't get their act together, evidently. And, and so there's... there's it's not like everything's rosy and everything's perfect for them. Evidently, there's some problems that are there. But Paul says, don't worry about those things. Just pray. But now, what he says here, the, again, this, the English doesn't exactly get across what Paul's saying. Literally, what he says, he doesn't say, don't worry. He says, stop worrying. He says, stop worrying about the things that are going on in your church, in your life. I think that's kind of a bold statement that he says there because how does, how does he know that they're worrying? How, how, does he, how does he know that these people are actually worrying about different things? And I, I think the reason that he knows that is because he's just, because he's dealing with people. I mean, what's the reality? Do, do we worry? Is, is there anybody among us who, who is not worried about something over the past 24 hours? I mean, maybe there's one of you out there, but, but I know I look at myself and, and I see worry in me. And it's part of one of the reasons why Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount because, because he knew the hearts and the, the character of people, that one of the things that we struggle with is worrying. So Paul knew 
that because they're people, they're going through difficult things. And he says, hey, stop worrying. Whatever you're going through, stop worrying about it. Now, what we think about worrying often isn't, isn't that bad. When we look at, when we, when we do our category of sins, you know, we've got, we've got like the big ones like murder and, and theft and, and adultery. We've got those up here. And then we, we categorize some sins as way down here as not being that big of a deal. And we, we put things like, um, like, like worry, like way, way down here. Uh, but, but Paul says, don't worry. And then we look at Jesus. Jesus says, don't worry. And so why, we need to think for a second, why do they say this? Why do they say, don't worry? Well, I think there's, I think there's a couple of reasons. And one, one's just really practical here. I, I think, number one, it doesn't accomplish anything. What have you ever accomplished by worrying? Just maybe losing some sleep. You know, have you ever laid, laid in bed at night and you've got something that you're just worried about and you can't go to sleep because you're worrying about it? I know I have. It doesn't do anything. What have you actually fixed by laying there in bed doing that? Not, not anything. Jesus talks about this. Flip over to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. This is a Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. Starting at verse 27. He, he's dealing with uh, anxiety, worry here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Why worry? What can you do? What's it going to accomplish by worrying? So, number one, don't worry because it doesn't accomplish anything. Number two, and here's, I think this is the real reason. I think this is, gets to the heart of it here. Don't worry because when you worry, it means that you're not trusting God. Look, look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus links worry with faithlessness. He says worry means not trusting God. And so the big deal with worry and anxiety is that we look at a situation and in essence we're saying, I don't trust God in this situation. We, we may want to church it up with some other language, but the reality is when we look at a situation and we worry, in essence, what we're saying is God can't fix this. God's not in control. That's why worry is serious. Worry is a, is a situation that's related to is God in control or is he not? And by worrying, what we're saying is I don't know if he's in control. 
And so this is an issue that gets to the heart of who God is. And so Paul says, stop. Stop worrying. We do have a God who's in control. Jesus said, stop worrying. You see how God has clothed these flowers? How much more will he take care of you? Don't have little faith. Have great faith. Trust in the one who is in control of everything. So don't worry, but instead pray. Flip back to Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, literally. Stop being anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what the opposite of worry is? The opposite of worry is praying about that situation to God and trusting him with that situation. That's it. That's the opposite of it. Stop worrying. Pray to God about that situation and trust him with that situation. And and you see how that leads into our subject of peace? We get anxious and caught up and flustered in us because of some situation that's going on and we're in turmoil. Our spirit's just worked up inside us. But Paul says, stop being anxious. Present that to God. Give your petitions to him and trust him in that. And the very next thing he says is that there's a peace that will guard your heart. Peace beyond your comprehension. So when we pray to him about those specific things, we're saying that we trust him with that. And then there's a peace that goes beyond what you can describe regarding those situations. So if you want that in your life, we have to stop worrying and pray. If we want that in Grace Baptist Church, we have to stop worrying and pray. Stop worrying and pray. These things that Paul mentions here aren't easy. You know, the reality is some of these things are really hard. You know, he talks about two people who are at odds with one another, and that's not easy to deal with. There's a tough conversation that's going to have to happen. He talks about having to actually you step in and maybe help out with that tough conversation. And he talks about how rejoice in the middle of difficult circumstances. He talks about how you need to be gentle when instead your natural response is this kind of angry outburst or angry thinking and to stop worrying when our natural response is just to be anxious. These things aren't, they're not easy. They don't come natural to us. But through the grace of God, as God works in us, the Spirit works in us, these things can happen. And so I ask, I ask you and, and me just to think about these five exhortations that are given. Are, are any of these just something that God is just dealing with you at this time? And that maybe, there's, maybe that's you with that broken relationship. 
and you just need to do something about it. You're holding some kind of grudge, and you, and you just need to be reconciled. Or maybe you have two close friends here in the church that that's happened, and maybe you need to go to one of them and just help them work through that. Or you're struggling with rejoicing, or you're, you're not characterized by gentleness, or you're struggling with worry and anxiety right now. Whatever it is that, that perhaps you're struggling with right now, I pray that, that God will work in us, that we'll be more characterized day by day by day by being obedient to these things and by having this peace that passes all understanding. Well, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the time that we've had this evening thankful for your word. God, I pray that it will pierce all our hearts. God, I pray that we'll be obedient to it. Lord, we know that, that often we do not find easy things in your word, but God, you have given us your spirit. And so I pray, Father, that we'll yield to your spirit and we'll have submissive attitude as you lead us. And God, I pray that you'll continue to mold and shape us in what you've called us to be. God, I thank you for this body. God, I thank you for each of the here at Grace. It is such a joy and privilege to know and serve with and worship with this body. God, I thank you for this opportunity. God, as we go this week, I pray that you'll be glorified among us. Help us to be pleasing to you in all that we do. God, may we be characterized by these things that you've described in your word. It's in Christ's name we pray.